Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Thank you for being here today. I'm Karen Lynch, and I'm happy to be hosting today's episode with one of our FutureList honorees. Clara Mundia is joining us today. She is the Director of Location Analytics at Dahlberg Research Limited. Let me tell you, this is going to be a really interesting conversation because we're talking about her work in the field of geospatial analytics, in addition to her journey that has brought her to a place where she's not only one of Green Book's Future List honorees, but she was recognized as a global innovator and received a leadership award accordingly. She is one of Geospatial World's 2021 50 Rising Stars for Impact in the Industry. She's really using her skills to do some great work and aligning with a strong humanitarian mission. And I'm just so excited to welcome her to the podcast. So, Clara, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd love for you to expand on what I just said by way of introduction and share with our audience anything else you have kind of in your background that you know, we can highlight now that everyone's paying attention because they're like, oh, interesting. <laughs> so what many people might not know is that even though I live with analytics, I actually come from an environmental science background. So my area is largely geography, environment, climate. My research has largely been in focusing on vulnerable populations and communities in sub-Saharan Africa. And I'm one of the lucky people who get to do that even in, our, in my career. So the cool thing about the geospatial work is that it's a really nifty tool that I apply in my research. And it does provide sort of like a third lens to some of the work that we do in research, which is largely the locational aspect and how things change over a location. So bringing those two things together has been fun. And I'm super happy that I get to do that in my career. <laughs> I, there's so much about your background that I want to talk about, but first I want to bring people up to speed with what we were talking about just before we actually started, which is this idea of the type of work that you do. And explain what that is for people who are like, wait, what even is geospatial analytics and how can I make sense of it in my life as a data and analytics professional? Tell us what the field is all about, Clara. So many people might know this field as being GIS, Geographic Information Systems, but I don't prefer to use that term. I feel like it's limiting because GIS is just a tool that we use in this field. But geospatial analytics is pretty much the power of where, right? Even when we review different phenomenons, whether they are socioeconomic, environmental, climatic, there is a difference about how these things change over time. And understanding how that change happens across space is important 
because what you might assume happens in one place doesn't always happen in another place. And there is Tobler's Law of Geography, which states that things that are closer are the same, and as they move further away, they become dissimilar. And so that's basically what geospatial analytics does. It shows how dissimilar are things that are far apart versus how similar they are when they're together. And oftentimes, like when we do research, we don't really factor in that things change, even opinions, even characteristics, even behavior changes across space. And so that's really what geospatial analytics brings into research. I just love this so much as somebody who has spent a lot of time uncovering the why through qualitative research methods where, you know, I really have dug into that. I think this it's a paradigm shift for me right now to be thinking about the where. We spend a lot of time in traditional research conversations talking about the difference between markets from a behavioral standpoint. And I don't know that we, or at least that I have ever really considered location as separate and distinct from distance. And I, I think even that is a really interesting factor for me. So how did you get into this field? And let's get into your career a little bit. It's fascinating to me. I, I'll be honest, I got into it by accident. <laughs> I wanted to do research. I knew I wanted to do research in environment, in the sub-Saharan context. But geospatial analytics kind of crept up on me. It was one of my professors in college, an African, who really insisted that I do it. Even though I was like really skeptical, he would not stop. And he's like, this is marketable. This is going to get you a job. And because I listened to my elders, I did the right thing. And I listened to him and took some of those courses. And I quickly fell in love. I said, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. Even though I didn't know much about computers then, I was super curious about how it enhanced my research, how it enhanced my thinking. And then when I got out of college, I immediately started to apply it and, and I became super marketable, actually. You know, just being an environmental scientist was not good enough. Having this technical skill was what was more marketable for me. And so I just ended up building my career around geospatial analytics and have not turned back. I love that. And, you know, it's it's interesting. We, we talk a lot about people's journeys and how they get to where they are and what detours they took. You know, the last podcast episode that I recorded actually was speaking to somebody who started off in med school and here he is working, you know, in the insights and analytics industry. So you think like, that's interesting. So it doesn't actually surprise me that much that an environmental scientist has now, you know, fallen into the analytics space. It's actually seems quite normal that that happens. A question I have for you is about some of the projects that you work on, um, either that you have worked on in the past or that you're you're presently working on. But what are some of the things you tackle, some of the business challenges or some of the cultural challenges or some of the environmental challenges? Like what types of projects do you work on to bring the field to life for our audience? Quickly, before I do answer that, what people might not know is that it, it lies in the environmental field largely in terms of applications for GIS and geospatial work. And so it is actually a natural segue for environmental scientists to sort of pick that up. So I don't claim to be any special in that area at all. <laughs> but in terms of the projects, Delbert Research is a social and market research company. So we do a lot of development work, but we also do a lot of market and commercial research. A lot of the work that we've done in the geospatial department has largely been in the development space. We've tackled things like 
labor markets, financial inclusion, gender inclusivity, digital penetration. We definitely did a lot of work on COVID. One of the most fulfilling aspects of that period was when COVID broke out in Kenya, they needed information to understand what the vulnerability risk was. And we did a very awesome index to map that out in the very early stages of COVID based on the information we knew about the virus and the disease at that time. And what ended up happening is that they took that information to guide them on where they needed to send resources like water and hand sanitizer to prevent additional spread. You know, so we mapped out areas that had high populations of elderly people, places that were close to road networks and stuff. So, you know, access and spread of the disease would be highly likely areas that had poor health facility distribution and other things. And when we ended up checking our work two years later, it ended up being very spot on. How we had mapped it or how we had predicted it to happen is exactly how it actualized. And those types of projects where we see the on the ground grassroots impact are the things that give me life. Because one of the reasons I walked away from academia was that I did want my work, my insights to have a direct impact to the people that matter to me. These are the people that I come from, Kenyans, Africans, developing world and to get that feeling of fulfilling that was was one of the best things I can say uh, that has happened in my career. Well, that is one of the reasons why you are a futurist, Henri. I have to take pause and just say, you know, you embody a quality that we look for. And partially that is just giving back to the community or your community in this case, which is just inspirational to a lot of people. So I'm so glad that you are on that list, that the judges saw that in you and were able to highlight the importance of that in our world and certainly in our community. So thank you for that work you're doing. You know, one of the bits of information that was shared with me before we got on here is that you are also paying it forward as a mentor to young African women in the field or in the wider STEM space. So pause for a minute with me and let's go there. Like, how are you giving back in that way? That's another specific way you are giving back. Yes, this is such a a personal ambition and passion of mine. When I started in STEM, there wasn't a lot of female role models that I could look up to. I sort of had to figure it on my own. And those that were there were very competitive, very siloed, right? It was almost like we were competing for the same seat at the top. Being in these very technical fields, it's very male dominated. And so sometimes many women feel like, you know, there's not enough room for all of us. And so we have to sort of like, you know, wrangle each other to get there. And I have never been of that doctrine. I definitely feel like if we support each other, we all rise. And I have been lucky in my career to move up. And I feel it is absolutely my duty to pay it forward. So some of the things that I do is, is I mentor individual ladies who are either starting out in their careers, who need to understand like, what is it out there for me in doing this? Like, how did you get there? How, what can you tell me? So I sometimes as simple things of having a conversation or reviewing someone's CV or giving them just guidance and direction on the next steps. I'm also a director of Women Plus in Geospatial This is a global network of women who support each other with resources, information, connections, so that we get ahead of the game. 
we're definitely trying to be pioneers in ensuring that our community is more diverse, not just in terms of minority genders, but also race, culture, etc. And we're definitely trying to like build that network to be more visible, not just in Europe where it mostly is, but you know across the world. And then in my company, Dalberg Research, I am the patron of the women of DR. When I came into the company, women were a bit more muted, not for any reason, but just because sometimes that is the culture we have in Kenya. And I felt like there was just so much camaraderie that we could build. And so I initiated uh, Women of DR, which is an informal social group that the company women get to socialize, have lunches, talk about each other's, understand how, you know, advice on like parenting, career advice, relationships and boyfriends and things like that, just so that we could bond and get really close. And there has been a very noticeable change where women are really rising up in the ranks. They're very much empowered. And yeah, it's it's just been also very fulfilling. And I always thank them for trusting my leadership, you know, because obviously I, I didn't really know what I was doing at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, there's no book to that. But yeah, so I have definitely been very much involved. This is like, I would say my second career is building women, particularly in the STEM world and ensuring that we all have a seat at that table. I cannot love that more, um, obviously, as a woman myself, and many of the things that you were saying resonate with me across the ocean and things that I've noticed and observed in my career. I also have been a mentor. So to all of our listeners, if you are inclined to put yourself out there as a mentor, it is more rewarding than anything I can really put to words to offer that support to somebody at the earlier stages of their careers and wire women in research here and you know across the world actually has a great mentorship program for young women if you haven't looked into it please look into it and I'll encourage Natalie to add a link to that in our show notes as well because mentorship is how we can all aspire to becoming honorees at some point and and make a difference in our world so thank you for leading that charge as well in your community there as well as ours Clara it's really fantastic Let's talk a little bit more about some of the dynamics that are in place across Africa and the work that you're doing. And first, I should clarify, are you doing work solely in Africa? Are you going more global with that? But I think that we have discussed internally that there is a gap with what work is being done in Africa as a continent. It's, you know what, I think our second largest continent, and yet we don't know that much about it. So I'd love for you to enlighten us just a little bit with your perspective on that. Yeah, thanks, Karen. Um, I'm going to start off with a disclaimer on the fact that I obviously don't know everything that's going on in the continent. But I do know that there is need. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean that the people who are working on research in the continent are in the continent. They might be outside of it, but they come from the continent. And so people who are in universities, I know of some people in a UK university, which has now completely uh, skipped my mind, who are working on analysis of major cities across Africa. He is a PhD holder and he's, I think, born in Ghana. Even though he lives in Europe, he's definitely still invested in Africa and does a lot of research around that. And so there are a lot of 
people who are interested in finding solutions in Africa, and I say finding solutions and not researchers because there's still a little bit of work that needs to happen to encourage younger individuals on the merits of research. And the reason being is when many of us, and I spoke about this in my talk in, in Amsterdam, is when we grow up, we are encouraged to go and be doctors, engineers, lawyers, these very traditional professions. You know, a lot of people feel like if you want to be social media manager or an artist or even a researcher, that you're dooming yourself to a very poor life. And African culture is to overcome poverty, right? So there's not a lot of people who say, son, go out there and be a researcher. It's more of like different. You know, I started off in the States doing pre-med because I wanted to become a doctor. I was told I needed to become a doctor, you know, and then changed my mind. So right now, a lot of the things that need to happen is to push forward research because Sometimes the application of research that's done outside the continent in hopes that it will apply there is very misguided, right? And, and so now we, we definitely need to create our own scientific body. And there are many players, but we're still very siloed and not, you know, we've not come together solidly like we've seen in other places like the US as well as Europe. So that for me is the future right now for research in Africa. I love that. Thank you so much for that description. Again, it's my hope to our audience is ticking this all in as we really consider work that we're doing in Africa and, uh, you know, considering how if we're if we're not doing some work there, we think about it and tap into this other skill set, which you are sharing with us on some level, because it really is an interesting layer over the type of work that many people in data and analytics are doing. So talk to me about how you do what you do. Let's get a little bit specific into the field itself. What are some ways you either collect data or look at data and ultimately analyze data from a very tactical level? So geospatial analytics is largely focused on secondary data. So this is data that was already collected for a specific purpose and is now being utilized. We also deal with remotely sensed data, so not data that like satellite imageries, aerial photography, and now drones are big, so people use drones to collect data, photographs, right? Even simple observations, previous maps, Google, everything, anything that has been remotely collected, we utilize. And then we sometimes also enhance surveys. Right. So we might have uh, field collection for primary data and we'll map out the respondents to show where they come from and maybe highlight certain differences or, or attributes about them. The key thing to consider when using geospatial data is that because it isn't collected for the purpose that you're using it for, there's a likely chance that you're going to need to work a little bit more on it. <laughs> and actually, I always say that majority of the work that we do in geospatial research is cleaning and editing data because we need it to be in fashion for the work that we need to work and um, we need to do. So, for instance, if I source an image from Lancet, but then I want to combine it with some aerial image, they were not created the same, they were not sourced the same. And so I would have to do a lot of work to make sure that they're both standardized in order for me to use them together, 
And so a lot of our work, and sometimes it does bore us, is cleaning and organizing data. And then once we clean it and organize it, we start to layer them, right? So the cool thing, and one of the things I love, love, love about geospatial data is the fact that you can layer data sets over data sets over data sets over data sets. The whole idea is to get the most representative scope of what you're trying to investigate. So if it's roads, lakes, mountains, protected areas, communities, urban areas, all these things, you layer them so that you can now quantify and describe a place in as much accuracy as your data can allow you. And then once you have done that layering, that's when you start getting the, the analysis. If you want to identify how many people live in this uh, census tract, what is the closest, the distance to the closest road, how many supermarkets are here, right? What is the nearest water source? All these investigations you can do once you've layered your data. And I'm giving the very basic description of this just for the audience's sake, but also to make sure that my point comes through a bit. But it does go a lot more intensive. We can do analysis that's both space and time. We can forecast into the future. We can forecast into areas that are known and there's no data. There's a lot of modeling, scripting, programming that happens when we really want to dive deeper into our east sites or if there are some issues with our data that require us to utilize those tools. So there's a lot to it, but that's basically the major gist. Thank you. I love that high level explanation of what you do. So now a follow up question is, for lack of a better phrase, how do you do that? And what I mean by that is what skills did you either acquire or innately have that allow you to thrive in this field? What are some of the, whether they're, you know, a hard skill or a soft skill, what attributes do you possess that allow you to do this work well? That's actually a really interesting question because someone asked me that today <laughs> in passing. <laughs> there is two ways that people can approach geospatial analytics. You can approach it being very technical where people will give you data or you'll go out and collect data and you run the very technical analytics around it, right? And provide outputs that people can now use and distribute. And there are many people who build a lot of our products by just doing that. A lot of the modeled data that we have out there on population comes from people who just sit down and create these data sets because they have the technical capabilities. And then there are those who try to make the interpretations that connect this analysis to solving real life problems. And that's where I think I sit more. Because I come from the research background I'm about finding answers. And so I do these analysis, but I do them with a goal of providing a specific answer, answering a research question or a hypothesis that I'm testing. And oftentimes we find a lot of people focusing on the technical, which is really cool. And trust me, you can go into a rabbit hole of a technical high really quickly. And I have been there many times. But oftentimes the people who need this information do not know how to use it. They don't know how to consume it. And so there is a very critical role in being able to interpret these results. And I have to credit my research background because that is where I started. And so I came to understand the whole process of research is to find a solution. And then I utilized this to get that goal, to achieve that specific goal. And I think those are the skills for my particular 
career trajectory that I have really leaned on and depended on to get me to where I am today. You know, earlier you had mentioned this professor that <laughs> really, you know, shaped where you were going with your career and kind of said, you need to do this. And you <laughs> respected him and said, oh, you know, okay, and, and pursued it, which I'm so glad he gave you that strong advice. Were there other people along the way of your journey that either you started to learn from or that helped you gather some of the knowledge that you currently have or skills that you currently have, other influences in your life to bring you to where you are today? There is one person that's been very influential in my life. He's Professor Robert Snow. He was one of my very first bosses. I hated him. (laughs) I really (laughs) did. I hated working for him. He knows it. We talk about it all the time because he's also now one of my best friends. But it's one of those things where we say hindsight is 2020. When I was in that environment, I did not like it. But when I left to do my PhD, everything that he taught me, you know, the harsh words to be disciplined, the harsh words to be more structured in my output, I don't think I would have been able to go through that four-year degree without all those lessons that he inadvertently taught me. And I inadvertently learned because <laughs> I really did not like working for him. And we talk about it a lot because I do credit him for giving me the discipline that I needed to finish my degree and to crave a career in the area that I wanted to. And of course, he you know, encouraged me and always made me feel like I deserved the things that I was going for and I was I was worth the effort and he doesn't like mushy mushy stuff so if he does listen to this hi Bob (laughs) but yes I do credit him for being a definite strong influence another person would be and and this person is more aligned the female route she is the one who told me that we needed to support each other as women It's really funny because that professor who really encouraged me to do this type of research ended up leaving the university when I was doing my master's and I mean my PhD and sort of left me. And those of you who know about PhDs, your advisor is your anchor. And I lost my advisor and she stepped up informally and she encouraged me as a a single mother that I could do it. She encouraged me as an international student that I was worth it. And she told me that she had my back and they were not going to allow me to quit or give up. And that was one of the lowest times in my life. And I felt so supported by a woman and I and I felt like I needed to pay that forward to other women who might also feel like they're alone. And so, Dr. Sylvia Saki, thank you so much for that. I probably have never said it to her face, but she was super influential in giving me that insight that, you know, women, we need to stick together and we need to to help each other out. That's our responsibility. I couldn't love that more. Thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for the shout out to these people, because I believe that there are people who influence our careers in ways that stay with us for a long time, even before we have recognized what that influence is. And then hindsight, you notice something. I've had several of those people in my own life as well that looking back, I think, well, that was really formative and I'm grateful. So anyway, I love both of those stories that you shared there. You know, 
Speaking of your impact, right? So, so not just the impact that you're making with young women, which I applaud, but also this impact on the world. And I want to get back to that a little bit because you are addressing some large challenges. You obviously were making an impact during COVID to kind of help change things for the better at that point. But let's talk a little bit about how you're addressing other challenges and which challenges you are addressing kind of holistically some of these bigger problems our world is seeing. So right now as a company, we're really trying to spearhead on two fronts. We want to do more work in the climate slash carbon space and still ramp up the the health space. So one of the things that became alarmingly clear during the COVID period was how scarce and fragmented health data was. And for decisions to be made, it was really hard for researchers and people who could actually utilize and investigate that data to do so because they didn't have access. And so one of the things that we've really been pushing is to try and see what data products, what kind of new information we can put together in the health space to sort of drive that thinking around the availability of data, understanding the health networks, making sure we're able to make those locational connections, like are there underserved areas, are there gaps, are there vulnerable populations that are not being targeted, so areas that might have a high number of women and children do not have access to maternal and child health care, you know, and things like that. So we want to use data to sort of inform on those areas and do a lot more. So there is that thinking that we're pushing that end. In the climate and carbon space, you know, we've been talking a lot about how Africa doesn't emit the worst in terms of greenhouse gases, yet we do suffer the most because we're still very agro-related. There is still a lot of dependency on the land and the environment. And so we are most vulnerable. But we're trying to switch the narrative, and it's not uh, exclusively just Albert Research, but a consortium of people, are trying to switch the argument of the fact that Africa is not the victim primarily. Yes, we are to some extent, but we are also the solution, right? So many of the carbon reduction, carbon removal, carbon avoidance activities can actually be accelerated in Africa. When we have the land, we have the labor capacity, and we have the goodwill. And for instance, Kenya has made a a public commitment to reducing our footprint and being more climate focused. So making sure that when we talk about new policies, development, trying to connect that climate aspect so that we're not harming the climate while we try to develop and that that is a consideration. And so being in the forefront one of a country that's so dedicated and has made that public commitment, plus a continent that is really waking up to trying to utilize renewable resources more, trying to make national climate strategies that are around this, our work starts to feature in the forefront. You know, can we be able to quantify potential of renewable energy? Can we talk about how to convert transportation into being more greener, right? What population is available to take on green jobs, right? And so a lot of that information is is what we're, we're trying to put together to better understand and build the climate space and also specifically the, the carbon markets in Africa. 
I love that. Are some of your clients then at your firm, are they indeed government entities? Are they nonprofits? Like who are some of the people that hire you to do the work that you do or contract with you to do this work? And are they limited to those sectors or do you go into other sectors as well? For these large ticket items like the health as well as the carbon, we do find that donor organizations, NGOs, are largely the pioneers in that area. They have commitments and investments to support different countries in their different strategies. And so we do support in that area. But because Dalberg Research is a social and market research company, we do work with a lot of small businesses, sometimes directly with government and other like retail companies in, in helping them with their strategies. So it really does depend on the work that we're, we're doing. And, and what the ask is. But the major developmental ones do come from the NGO donor organization side. Let's just talk about those small businesses for a moment and hover there because much of our audience is in that space or even a retail establishment. What types of projects do you work on for them? And I'm not saying be specific because I'm sure a lot of it is proprietary, but what are some of the questions, the research questions that a small business might have for you that you are able to answer using geospatial analytics? So there are a few things that I would say are value propositions in this space. One is due diligence. So there might be a few companies that are trying to either acquire other companies or they're trying to make expansion decisions and need to understand what locations will be ideal for our product or for our store. And so we do locational profiling and analytics to understand like who your who is your customer, you know, what age are they, what gender, what is their purchasing power. And then we take all this information and identify locations that have populations and environmental conditions that match that and give you a list of like several locations that would be ideal based on your criteria. And of course, you can continually, I mean, you can continually adjust and fine tune that criteria as you go. But it does allow you at least the very first scope analysis to say these are the five areas that based on secondary data would be ideal areas for our customer base. And so let's go and now do the deep dive in these areas to see where specifically we would like to locate our business. So there's just that due diligence that companies would do to better make some of their expansion decisions. There are also other things like advertising like optimization. If you want to really understand how to advertise your product, you need to know where your customer is so that you can target your customer in the right way. So for instance, if you are in a country where, so for instance, in South Africa, let's say South Africa, majority of the people might have at least a basic television, right? And so you know that television ads would be okay or maybe even phone ads. But if you go to somewhere like DRC or maybe in rural Senegal, you might find that majority of people have radios. And so your best advertising is in radios. But to, and that might sound very simple, many people say, well, we know that, but those differences are very minute in location. So what would be good in one part of rural Senegal might not be the same in another part of rural Senegal. It depends on the locational 
dynamics and so we provide greater insights to help you understand how best to advertise and then we do things that are more specific to like retail companies like branch performance if you have different branches how are they performing what could be the environmental or the demographic reasons why they're performing differently is it that you have one top salesperson that's really busting their butt to get things done or is it because the community around there really loves that product and and cannot stop consuming it and then also things like distribution networks what is the easiest route right what's the easiest service area and a lot of that stuff is based on that locational data so there are a variety of things that we do under commercial analytics market sizing and due diligence that we can and have helped customers with Yeah, I just love that so much. And it's just, I know I mentioned this on our call. Your work is a classic example to me if you go back to, again, when I was in school, the difference between market research and marketing research. And you are really doing and providing such great market research services, really helping people understand the the greater market there. I'm just so thrilled to be learning about it and hearing about it. If you think about where you are now and where the industry that you're in or the the sub-industry within the greater industry, where it's going, what do you think the trends are or the future of geospatial analytics is? What do you think is coming down the pike a little bit? Oh, well, that's an obvious one. I think to everyone, it's AI. (laughs) It is AI. Someone asked me today, what do you think is going to interrupt the geospatial field? And, And I said, it's AI. And it's largely because particularly, and I'll give the, the African context, many Africans that go into this field go in as analysts, right? One, because majority of the jobs are at that level. There's not a, a lot of buy-in from government that geospatial research and analytics is the thing to invest in. And to be honest with you, the main employer of people like us is the government. So even the projects that I had mentioned that the NGOs or the donor funders are funding are very closely related to government agencies, right? But maybe the governments can't afford it or they're getting support from the donor agencies. So this idea of government buy-in is a bit slow in Africa. And what that will do is when AI starts to really take over, it will make those jobs redundant because simple analytics is not going to survive AI, definitely not generative AI. So the key thing is exactly what we've been talking about, that sweet spot of being able to interpret output. Because one thing we're very sure of, at least not in my lifetime, that AI technology is not going to be able to replace a human in the capacity of perception, thought process, emotions, and all those other things that we are very well known for as humans. And as long as your job has additional function, then you are protected from AI. And so right now I do see, because there's a huge rush towards creating solutions, I don't think the geospatial field is going to be isolated from that. I think we're going to definitely be on that right, but it might, make a few positions redundant and so you know my call to people who are out here doing geospatial work please get that additional add-on right make sure that you not just bring the technicality because soon enough computers will be able to do those technical things but bring in the human aspect bring in the 
indigenous knowledge, the context, the human perspective that is right now irreplaceable because that is really the future of geospatial work, being able to bring that human perspective into a lot of the research that comes from these heavy data sets, these heavy analytics. Yeah, hopefully it does some of the work of the cleaning that we were talking about earlier. And, you know, when you were talking about yes. layering <laughs> images, layering images over one another, I was like, well, let's let AI do those things so that your brain can go to the, okay, now what am I seeing? Now that AI has done all of that, what can I do with this new information? Or anyway, so, so I have gratitude for the AI because I think it can help those of us who learn how to use it and are willing to learn how to use it, do what we do even better. So there's optimism there, in my opinion. <laughs> so how about you then? I'm with you. Yeah, with yeah. You. What's next for you? What are you most excited for in your immediate future? What do you have planned for the, either the rest of 2023 or shortly thereafter? You know, when I started in this position, I was very much in the market research. I was doing a lot of work on trying to identify how to apply geospatial research in the industry aspect. And I have to say, I moved quite a bit away from climate and the environment because that hasn't been one of the heavy concerns in the African context. It's more about poverty, vulnerability to trade food security and other things. And, and I did feel like it's been a while since I've been in the climate and the environmental space. And I am looking for, you know, greater work in that region. I do want to go back to like my roots, <laughs> my roots of being an environmental scientist. And with all the knowledge that I have built with understanding how to apply data, I do feel like I, I just, I carry a wealth of understanding and because now this conversation is being brought to the forefront, I do definitely want to be a key player in it. It is very aligned with my goal of supporting vulnerable populations, uplifting my continent, adding to the scientific body. And, you know, the, the data tells us that women and children are the most impacted by climate. And so it also checks that box that I have of, of supporting women. And so, yeah, that's my hope. My hope is to be more actively involved in that space. In Kenya, in September, we have National Climate Summit that a lot of, of us are working towards in terms of building the right types of framework, the right types of projects that can support the government in their climate strategy. And then there are, of course, events like COP28 that, of course, we'll be looking forward to and UNGA and, and yeah. And so definitely hope to be more involved in that space and, and looking to connect with people who are in that space. So yeah, if you think we could connect and have something to talk about, please reach out. <laughs> How best might they reach out to you? What is your best point of contact? Is it on LinkedIn? Is it via email? Definitely LinkedIn. I'm very active there. I really do hate email. Uh, recently, I've just kind of gotten tired of email. Like it's just, <laughs> I spend hours just deleting things just because they annoy me. Like when the number of emails just get so high, I'm like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we doing this? So please do not reach out to me on email. Uh, LinkedIn is perfectly fine. And then happy to take the conversation to email if necessary or via WhatsApp or, or what have you. But yeah, LinkedIn is a, is a really good place to find me. 
I love that. Thank you. And we'll include that link in the show notes as well. Clara, is there anything that you wish I had asked you that I didn't have a chance to ask you or didn't ask you? Yes, my hobbies. (laughs) I know it's so not relevant. I love it though. You're as a future list honoree, we applaud all of you holistically. So yes, please share. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people don't know that I do love to sew. I'm very a DIY crafter. I really hate that I haven't been as involved in it uh, as I was trying to build my career. But also one of the things I am looking forward to in 2023 is to, to start going back into crafting. I have a sewing machine that I need to dust out and some old furniture that I need to restore. So I, I hope I'll be busy doing most of that stuff. But it is a really important part of me and that's why I'm talking about it because I do definitely need releases in my work and and the kind of things that we do. And so I do lean on my hobbies quite a bit for that. I love that so much. And uh, you know, what, what a lot of people don't know about me is I actually, in addition to having this office where I've, you know, operated in the professional realm for years, I also have an art desk that is loaded with like watercolors and acrylics and lots of fibers for mixed media. And that is one of the things I love to do. So I'm like, yeah, I get it. I probably will never give artwork away really or sell artwork but it is something that I just love to do because I think it keeps me balanced in this world to create something so I'm so glad you share that and brought it to people's attention because find your hobby folks (laughs) it really does matter to us right Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for sharing that for sharing all of your time today and such vast background on this field that you're in. Keep on doing the good work that you are doing. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I am super happy that, first of all, you're giving a platform for someone like me to come in and and share with the world what I do. I do feel like many of us in Africa do need to have many more global platforms so that it is more clear what we can do and how we can partner with different people across the globe. So thank you for that. I truly, truly appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. It has been our great pleasure. So thanks again to you for being here. Thank you also to our producer, Natalie. I'm so grateful for all of the work that you do to get these episodes out there. Thank you to our editor, James Carlisle, and thank you to all of our listeners, for without you, we truly would be speaking into the void, and we are grateful that you give us your time and attention every week. That's all for today. So until next time, take care. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.